and said, I want you to be the spokesman and this is how we feel about it. All the Bible says is that they were brought before King Nebuchadnezzar and whoever was speaking or if it was all three of them together, they continually said over and over, it was never me, it was never my, it was never I. We, our, and us. I want to speak to you for a few minutes this morning about the power of unity. The power of unity. Let's ask God's blessing on the remainder of this service. Father, we love you today and we're thankful to be here. We're thankful and it's always an honor to be in your presence. You're never a guest at this church. God, you're always included and you have to be. It's a a mandate that you be here every time we gather together. And I pray, God, today that you would continue to unify this church for the greater cause of our community, of our city. We pray, God, today that we could be the impact that you want us to be, and we can be when it ceases to be me and when it becomes us. Help us today to understand the power of being unified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Thank you for your patience and standing, and you may be seated. Maddie Stepanek said, Unity is strength. When there is teamwork and collaboration, wonderful things can be achieved. Sai Baba said, Look out into the universe and contemplate the glory of God. Observe the stars, millions of them, twinkling in the night sky, all with a message of unity part of the very nature of God. Hans Baltasar said, even if a unity of faith is not possible, if a unity of faith is not possible, a unity of love is. I concur. One man said, in essentials, unity, in, in, in essentials, unity, in differences, liberty. In all things, charity. Winston Churchill said, when there is no enemy within, the enemies outside cannot hurt you. Unified. Somebody said, where there is unity, there is always victory. I heard about a book that is called, What's So Amazing About Grace? And that the author, Philip Yancey, quotes Mark Twain. Apparently, Mark Twain used to say that uh, he put a dog and a cat in a cage together as an experience, uh, experiment to see how well they could get along. They did, so he put in a bird, a pig, and a goat in the same cage. They, too, got along fine after a few adjustments. But then he went on to say that he put a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a Catholic, quoting Mark Twain, soon there was not a living thing left. In this area, in the city of Central, it might be a Baptist, a Pentecostal, and a Catholic. But you know, and this is my words, not Twain's. It's hard enough sometimes for a Pentecostal and a Pentecostal and a Pentecostal. Everybody said amen. The text that we read here for your hearing this morning 
is one of the most familiar texts in the entire Bible. It tells the story of Daniel's friend, Shadrach, Meshach, and as the young boy said, and to bed we go. Uh, when they refused to bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, there was something that had gotten into the heart of these young men that attributed to such an action against idolatry. The chapter comes on the heels of Daniel's warning to Nebuchadnezzar. He had been warned that Jehovah would judge and destroy his empire, but apparently he forgot that very quickly. So he built this stature, I understand commentaries say five to six stories tall. He, he built this statue covered with gold so that his subjects could bow down and worship it. His kingdom was well organized and well structured as we note in Daniel 3 verse 3. The Bible said, then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So in an effort to add to it a sense of decorum of worship, Nebuchadnezzar also added a great company of music. There are six different instruments that are noted in Daniel chapter 3, verse 5. But the Bible goes on to say that there were many others beyond that that was added in addition to those six and just simply called it all kinds of music. And nearby was already the roar of the furnace for those who refused to bow. So this is not what I call freedom to worship. By any stretch of the imagination. But I do want you to notice here today that that whole entire meeting, that, that whole entire uh, creation of a statue was done for the purpose of worship, indicating to me that all men everywhere need something in their lives to worship. But no matter what, God always has a faithful few, a remnant that refuses to bow down to the demands of worship that is not Jehovah-based worship. And everybody say amen. They're often in the minority, and they will often have to stand against even their own families and friends because they are folding under the pressure of worshiping other things besides the Almighty. Death was staring these three Hebrew boys in the face, but they still could not disobey the commandment upon which they were builded and raised. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord, and Him only shalt thou serve and worship. Their peers no doubt accused them of being stubborn and crazy and perhaps just a little bit fanatical for not conforming. Everyone is watching. And understand, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you don't bow, you will not escape the fire. You're trading off the high office in your job. You're trading off the favor of the king. 
You're trading off the favor of the land. And you're even trading your life for the sake of Jehovah. For some, that just did not compute. But here's what we have to understand. There are some who see the real value of the soul and refuse to trade off the shallow things of this life for the greater value of the one to come. A.W. Tozer, probably one of the most quoted men in our Christian society today, wrote years ago that there are some marks of a spiritual man. These three young men fit the bill of what Tozer was writing about. He said, a spiritual man has a prevailing desire to be holy rather than to be happy. A spiritual man has a desire to see the honor of God advanced in his life, even if it means that he may have to suffer temporary dishonor and even temporary loss. A spiritual man desires to carry his cross. A spiritual man sees everything from God's viewpoint. A spiritual man would rather die right than to live wrong. A spiritual man desires to see others advance at his expense. A spiritual man habitually makes eternity judgments instead of time judgments. Immediately, when these three spiritual men refused to bow, some of the king's tattlers, if you will, ran to him and told him, no doubt sneeringly, that there were certain Jews who refused to bow down to his image and worship it. It was used in a tone of voice that you would expect perhaps even a racial slur to be used. Nebuchadnezzar went out of his mind with fury and ordered that these offenders be brought to him immediately. This thing about unity and worship is serious business. And I will tell Grace Church here today that the devil doesn't like it one bit when we refuse to worship the objects of his kingdom and choose to worship those of God's kingdom. That is why you need to let your worship be directed Godward and not earthward. Amen. Three of these men out of that whole entire nation, including the Jewish population that was there, only three refused to bow. That's what I would consider to be a minority. But that handful, those three men, were unified in their refusal to bow. So the devil made a mistake. Hell made a mistake, if you will. The first mistake that hell made was, first of all, to even let these three fellows get together. The Bible said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Can I present to Grace Church something here this morning? And perhaps this will wake you up just a little bit. The devil doesn't care how much we preach. Just don't let the church get unified. The devil don't care how much we sing. Just don't let the church get unified. The devil really doesn't care how anointed we are. Just don't let the church 
Get unified. The devil doesn't care how much doctrine we have. Just don't let the church get unified. The devil doesn't care how much praying we do. Just don't let the church get unified. The devil don't even care about how much structure we have. Just don't let the church get unified. The devil doesn't care how many are here. Just don't let those that are here be in unity. Because on that day, three men who got together, three men against an entire nation, three men against the most powerful military machine of that era, three men got together and ended up ruling the day. You need to know that when two or three get together, someone else is going to show up and that someone else is Jesus. And may I present to you this morning that if God be for us, then who can be against us? Praise the Lord. I believe today that there are some who are dying on the inside to experience what we have going on in this building right now, but they can't get together. You need to know that right now you are bowing down to that image of disunity. You really want to worship, but you're suffocated by a grudge against someone. You really want to shout to the Lord, but your voice is silent because you won't have a change of heart. You really want, you would like to pat your foot or clap your hands, but you can't because you can't get together with your fellow brother. So the devil tells you to just sit there and act dead because in reality, you are. Disunity. Disunity. But hell made a mistake even today by letting this group of people gather together in this house where there's been worship and magnification, glorification and exaltation of the name of God. No wonder the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So what is somebody going to think, you may ask, if they see me not bowing down to all the peer pressure stuff and, and all of the social things in our society. What if somebody sees me unified in worship like that? You need to know that true worship isn't going to run off anybody that we would like to keep. It was refreshing, Superintendent Falk, to see a man in your position, to hear you speak and quote scripture and use Bible reference, to see you clap your hands this morning. These folks aren't afraid to lift up the name of Jesus. And I've been to enough prayer breakfasts and I've heard him speak over and over and over. And uh, everything he does and everything he says God Almighty is at the base of it, and somewhere along the line in his speech, he's going to mention God Almighty. And I deeply, deeply appreciate that. And he has the full support of this church in doing so. May I go on to mention just for a moment that uh, this past week, uh, Sister Murph and I were invited, uh, and it was a kind of an odd uh, invitation process, but we were invited to attend a conference here in Baton Rouge uh, called the Louisiana Renewal Project. And uh, it was exclusively for the pastors of all denominations. Sister Murph and I went. It was one of the most phenomenal things that I've ever been a part of. Uh, one of our congressmen, Bob McEwen from Ohio, was there and uh, was probably the most prolific speaker 
that was there, in my opinion. Uh, even Governor Jindal was there and spoke, and uh, Tony Perkins was there and spoke. There was a number of people uh, that was there to speak. But I was hugely amazed at uh, Congressman McEwen. Uh, he sat on the committee under the Reagan administration that uh, helped bring demise to the communist regime in Poland uh, years ago. I was deeply amazed at the Bible stories that he told, including talking about David and his relationship with Nathan the prophet. I would dare say there's some people here this morning that would probably struggle to remember that story and what it meant, but he quoted uh, the entire thing and rehearsed the entire thing. And uh, there was a, a praise team that was there from Texas. They were called Classic Praise. It's a volunteer group. They have CDs out and so on. And uh, on, on Friday's session that morning, the presence of the Lord filled that room. And uh, my brother was invited. There was only four from the United Pentecostal Church that was there. And uh, my brother was invited. I leaned over to him and I told him, I said, I feel, I feel the presence of God here today. I feel the gifts of the Spirit right now. And uh, in a, had I known the environment and trusted it better, I literally felt to stand and give a thus saith the Lord word to that whole group of people trying to bring America back to the America that we once knew was their purpose and function. And I was deeply impressed to be there by being there, and I was deeply privileged to have been invited. But when the praise team sang after one of the speakers, uh, they sang either patriotic songs or strictly Christian music. And uh, at, at the end of one of those songs, uh, Congressman McEwen walked up to the podium and he said, do y'all know this song? And reached back probably 40 years at least in my life to an old hymn and started singing it. And that chorale just immediately joined in with him in perfect harmony, a cappella, no, no musical assistance. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of the Lord absolutely moved into that building at Crown, at, at Crown Plaza. I want to say to us today, to everybody sitting in this room, it doesn't, everybody worships something. It could, it could be a spouse, it could be a pet, it could be your job, it could be an automobile, it could be an old keepsake, it could be uh, an heirloom, it could be anything, it could be anything, it could be money, it could be your investment, your retirement. Everybody bows to something. But when you can get a room full of people collectively at one time bowing to God Almighty, no weapon formed against you will prosper. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You're going to hear more comment from me about that conference in the uh, weeks and the next couple of months to come. But I want to ask you today when it comes to worship, when it comes to your relationship with God, do you remember... What caused you to be attracted to Jesus the first time you walked into a place of worship? Was it the freshness of freedom that you felt? Was it the stirring down deep in your soul that you felt? You didn't have to worry about someone shutting you up if you said amen. You didn't have to worry about an usher coming by and take you out because you were literally dancing in the spirit. But now the king says, if you don't bow... You're going to burn. And I want to take just a moment to read to you again what these three boys said to King Nebuchadnezzar. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, 
our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, this, uh, O king, that we will not serve thy God. We, 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 we. I am appealing to grace today. And again, I'm drawing on our past several services. Not that we have a lot of disunity, but I believe we could be even more unified than we are. I believe we could come together as one literal militant body of believers that says we're going to impact our city. We're going to impact our families. We're going to impact our school system. We're going to impact everywhere we go. There's got to be that ever-present effect of salt and light in our community. And whatever we're close to should be impacted by our presence there. And it can be if we're unified. It's the power of unity. It don't take very many, but it does require unity. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. And somewhere in your life, you're going to have to learn how to worship. And most likely it will take place in a situation of confrontation. Let me remind you of a man in Scripture named David. He said, David said, he concluded the book of Psalms by saying, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. He was a little radical. And when, the streets, uh, when he was in the streets escorting the Ark of Covenant back to the tabernacle, he got a little radical. But David determined that nothing was going to rob him of an opportunity to worship. David had a golden image, if you will, in his house. It was his wife. You either bow to her or you bow to God. But you cannot bow to both. Michael mocked him in his worship. How undignified you look and she made fun of him and ridiculed him but God dealt harshly with her on David's behalf and her womb was closed and she was unable to have children she lived in the king's house but had no real joy if you let a critical spirit get a hold of you it will cause you to dry up spiritually it will cause you to be a barren Christian there are some people who've allowed an image to be set up in their life and are bowing to it I want to say you have to defeat that image today you have to defeat that spirit today quit saying that's just not my style that it's not for me it's not for you it's for him it's not about your style it's about his style for he is the king of kings the lord of lords the alpha the omega the beginning the end the first and the last which is which was and is to come the Almighty. Nebuchadnezzar's image wants you quiet because God inhabits the praise of his people. Even Nebuchadnezzar knew before the verse was ever penned that if these Jews start worshiping their God, I'm dead in the water. So I've got to put something else in their life for them to worship. But there's three that discern what happened. And they said, I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going to worship my God because he's worthy. There are some here today that have let images of this world choke out your spirit. Something ought to make you want to get up when you feel that image trying to slide in the pew next to you. Let me tell you how to know 
if the spirit of Nebuchadnezzar's image has gotten a hold in your spirit, when the Holy Spirit starts to move, when you feel like, I can't do that. I'm not spiritual enough to do that. I had an argument with my spouse going away to church this morning. My home isn't just right. Things aren't going well on job. If you have any of that starts going through your mind, then you have another image that you bow to. Right when you feel that breaking out point and you feel shut down by hindering spirit, when you feel like standing up in worship, you feel something just pulling you down. When you feel like raising your hands and you just feel a squeeze around you, there's an image somewhere in your life that don't want you bowing to him. <laughs> Let me introduce a couple of New Testament men to you as I hurry along here this morning. Paul and Silas had the very same thing happen to them in Acts 16. They were accused, maligned, beaten, thrown in jail, you name it. They were in pain, and somehow Nebuchadnezzar's image had been time warped to their Philippian jail. But at midnight, you know the story, they prayed and sang praises to the Lord. We have to learn more than anything else that most of these time opportunities to worship come when we are in the most intense of situations. The greatest opportunities for worship often come when we feel like worshiping the least. Everybody say amen. Have you found that to be true? About Paul and Silas, the... Magistrates of the city said, these men do exceedingly trouble our city. A minister recently said, I ran into a lady that he knew. He had formerly worked with her on a job and she said that over the years she had been very involved and active in her church. But she was telling this minister that she had never seen a time where, so, uh, where there was so much apathy among the people in her church. She said... It is like they don't even care about God anymore. They, they have no desire for the word of God and even pray. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I want to say to you this morning, and I know from my own personal encounter of living here in Central, that there are people in our city that feel much the same way. I want to say to Grace today, first of all, the Holy Ghost needs to come into that place with an absolute cleansing work of the Spirit then there needs to be a group of people to get a grip on how to worship. Even if it's just a minority, they can turn it around. And we as Grace Church should be praying for every church in our city, regardless of their denomination, their doctrinal base, and so on. I've learned a long time ago, I can't do the mission of the gospel by myself. I've learned a long time ago that we here at Grace, we can't do it by ourselves. We need the church down the street and on the other side of town. We need everybody to pitch in and let's bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe we can do it if we could ever understand the power of unity. Somebody clap your hand and shout yes. Paul and Silas decided that there were some things they were going to have to worship through. They weren't worshiping because, they weren't worshiping because it was the right thing to do. Their attitude was, we're in a pickle here. 
And the, we're just going to have to worship through it. Not because it's easy. Not because it's convenient. Not because the environment is conducive to worship. They had some things to worship through. First of all, they were in an incredible amount of pain after having their backs beaten. They were sitting in a dark jail with their hands and feet being bound in cold iron. Their reputations had been torn to shreds by uncaring tongues. Let me submit to you here this morning. If you're waiting to get a perfect set of circumstances in order to worship, it'll never happen. When you come to God to worship, there's always going to be something that you will have to worship through before you can really feel the freedom of worship. And you may even hear the sound of a roaring, fiery furnace in the background. But I say to you today, if we could understand the power of being unified as a people, if we could understand the power of being unified as Christian people, we can change our community. We can impact our community. We can affect our world. For the half a dozen of you that believe that, thank you. I'll keep working on the rest of you. Now y'all are sitting staring at me like it's weird. <clears throat> so I'm going to say again, much like the three Hebrew boys, one of the biggest mistakes the devil made is when he put Paul and Silas in the same cell together. He should have put them one on one end of that prison and one on the other. Jesus had already said, and they knew it, that when two or three agree together. Y'all aren't getting this, man. What do you call it, Jason and Brooke Trout? Looking at me like Brooke Trout? <clears throat> if they would have put Paul in one cell and Silas in another, the story might have been different. Or, listen very carefully, if they would have put Paul in the same cell with the church busybody. The person that just can't show up for the prayer meeting because their sock drawer must needs be rearranged. The busybody that's more interested in something tragic than something victorious. The busybody who's more than willing to tell a juicy line of gossip about the pastor. The busybody, you get the picture, and I don't want to belabor that point, but that busybody is someone who wants to criticize and find fault with everything. They find fault with the church, the preacher, the youth group, the singing, the carpet, the way the grass is mowed, the temperature of the building. You know who I'm talking about today. But there's people here today that yearn to be delivered from the images in their life. You've longed to break out of a rut of mediocrity. You have said it was your personality. You said, I'm just not that way. You feel out of place during worship. But I want to say to us today, it's not about none of that. It's about him, and we have to worship him. God demands that we worship him. The essence of his presence demands that we worship him. He is the almighty God, and he is worthy of all of our praise. 
We can't afford to bow down to the pressures of our society. We can't afford to bow down to all the agendas that's working against the church. We can't afford to bow down to any other image but God himself. So it's time to worship again. It's time for our fathers to worship. Talk about parents being involved in school. We need godly men. We need men that have a knowledge of the word of God. We need men that live according to the commandments of the word of God. We need strong men. We need men that know how to pray. We need men to be the priest of their home and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We need men that knows how to worship and that are willing to worship and that ain't scared to worship. We need men that knows how to touch God, men that knows how to get to the throne of God. We need our mothers to get on board and support that man, get behind that man, and say, baby, if this is where you're leading, we're going to follow. We're going to support you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pray for you that God will keep you strong and full of courage. We need moms who will intercede for their kids. Moms who will intercede for their family. Moms who will intercede for their church. Mom, that will intercede for their grandkids. We need to be unified for the cause of the kingdom of God, not only in our city, but in our homes and in our families. Praise God. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it. It sounds hokey. It sounds cheesy. And boy, here in Baton Rouge, it ain't the right thing to say but I'm not bowing down. If you can spend more time with LSU football than you do God and your family, you've got your priorities mixed up. Like it or leave it. I'm not against LSU football, but there's priorities, man. There's priorities. And this little image comes along a couple of three months every year, and everything has to stop. I was encouraged. I talked to a pastor friend of mine left. Yeah, they're doing two services. One at 9 on Sunday morning and the other at 11. He told me a couple of weeks ago, he said, I was kind of concerned at the attendance of our 11 o'clock service when football season started. There's one set of saints that go marching in in the morning. And there's another set of saints that march at a different time of the day. And sometimes both sets are drunk. I don't know about all the stuff the other set is drunk by, but I know what we get drunk by sometimes. And it's not like you suppose. It's a new wine, divine wine. Praise God. And Jesus don't do any light stuff. I'm going to have to hurry because I'm going to finish. But our homes have got to come together and worship. He said, around the time of the start of football season, their 11 o'clock service has grown, and it's even more attended. And they run from 11 to 12, 30, 1 o'clock. And, you know, you got to go eat lunch and then get to the television set. And said, it's not, it's not an impact. He said, there's people coming. Their church is growing like wildfire. Because I believe there's people that are hungry for a true image of God to worship. 
praise God. So bottom line, what I submit to you today is worship is a mindset that you have to determine to stay in no matter what your circumstances are. Worship is a mindset that you have to determine, discipline yourself to stay in, no matter what your circumstances are. I could preach on that point for a long time, but let me hurry on. How do we stay unified? There are some questions to consider in all of this matter. What in the world would you do uh, when you see people you know falling down to worship some image, rather figuratively or literal? What would you do when you see people who once was strong begin to bow down? What do you do when you see people who were once faithful begin to give in to the enemy and to sin and so on? What do you do when there is fear in your heart and you are alone in your convictions? I have a feeling that fear gripped these young men to the core. It's not easy to be staring into a fiery furnace and look the king in the eye and say, I'm not bowing. There's a couple of points that I want to bring to your attention this morning as we begin to conclude. We find in this story not only unified, but stay unified. It's amazing to me that even out of this small number of three, you didn't have at least one defector. Do you understand that fire? Does anybody get that? The closest thing that I can associate that with is a house fire. There was a house that burned in our neighborhood just a few months ago. My house burned a number of years ago. You can't get close to it, man. The fire's so hot, you can't get close to it. I've been to bonfires before where you can't get within 10, 12 feet of it. it it's hot. Does anybody get the point? I lit the gas lamps one time in front of my house, and I didn't think through that that had filled up with gas and got that. Almost got my eyebrows singed. Just amazed out of these three boys that there wasn't one that didn't wimp out and say, I ain't doing it. The Bible doesn't mention that there were more than three and seven, and then those others did. But I have a feeling that pick any of these three fellows right here, probably about that age, maybe a little bit older, that said, with that roar of that fire over there, that said, we aren't bowing. I don't care what you do. Nobody's going to become a weenie and wimp out. Excuse my expression if you get that. So how do you do that? First, if you can't face your fear, and this is what I believe they did, they faced their fear. If you can't face it, you faith it. There has to be an element of faith. 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 We talked about superintendent, about coming to Baton Rouge and Central and Norfolk being city superintendent. The Lord had to work all that out. I feel the same way about this building. We, we wasn't postured financially and all that. We didn't have a congregation then that we do now to buy this building. And I was scared. I was afraid. But I kept my faith, my fear under my feet. And I faced the situation in faith 
And there's enough of you here this morning that were here then that know that and remember that. There has to be an element of faith in your life that can literally choke the life out of your fear. They were in a high-pressure atmosphere, and people were bowing down all around them, but they let their faith prevail. And when fear starts talking to you, faith must talk back. Fear can never have the last word in our life. The prophet said in the Old Testament, and it's quoted several times in the New, for the just shall live by faith. Praise the Lord. Martin Luther stood up several hundred years ago and with that concept in mind brought reformation to what is now the Protestant church because he faced his fear with faith and fear did not have The last word. Even the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. The second thing we have to do is we have to learn to elevate our mind above what we see. You have to look beyond the fiery furnace and you have to look beyond the king. Because if you do, you're surrounded by something else. Who was it? The Old Testament prophet that prayed and told the Lord, said, would you open my servant's eyes and let him see? The whole city surrounded them. There was certain death everywhere. But when God opened the servant's eyes, the hillside was filled with the armies of God and an angelic host. And I still contend today that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runs into it. And they are saved. We must elevate our mind above what we see. Your help comes from the hill. The servant learned that lesson that day. The psalmist said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Let them call you a fanatic and whatever, but I will not allow my fear to have the last word in my life. Praise the Lord. Sometimes to elevate your mind, there are some things that you have to quit doing. You have to quit waiting for perfection. You have to stop hoping for inspiration. You have to quit waiting on permission. You have to stop looking for reassurance. You have to quit waiting for someone else to change. You have to quit hoping the right person will come along. You have to quit dreaming about the administration to change. You have to quit waiting for the absence of risk. You have to stop waiting for someone to discover you. You have to keep hoping or quit hoping for a clear set of instructions. You have to stop waiting for more self-confidence and waiting for the pain to go away. There's never a perfect atmosphere of worship. And there never will be until you enter into those golden gates. To elevate your mind means that you're going to have to ignore all the folks bowing down around you. The threat of a fiery furnace and the choking fear that surrounds you. The third thing I want to mention, I'm not finished, but I'm going to go ahead and do it for you. Okay, brother. The third thing that I want to mention this morning is to avoid anxiety. You faith your fear, you elevate your mind, and you avoid anxiety. The Bible says to be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious. If you don't speak back to your enemy, He will wear you out. While you're 
waiting on God. I'm saying more people fail in their relationship with God because they're waiting on God. Well, there's two ways you can wait on God. You can sit there like a mannequin and wait, or you can serve him as a waiter. So are you waiting on God in service, and you're going to keep on doing what you know to do? Bishop Tenney said a couple Sundays ago, you grow where you're planted. And the more dirt people throw on you, that's just more dirt for you to grow good out of. Huh? Avoid people who insist on being nervous and wavering. Sometimes you may have to tell your own mind to be quiet. I'm reminded of a story, and this is a true story, that I heard about T.W. Barnes. Most felt that Pastor Barnes was literally a prophet of God in his time, and I believe he was, even though he did not claim to that. Several years before his passing, he received a phone call from someone who said that they were a practicing witch in Menden, Louisiana, where he pastored, and they wanted to come see him. Without any hesitation, Pastor Barnes said, okay. The woman came into his office. The Lord revealed to Pastor Barnes that the witch had come to leave behind some evil spirits that were meant to torment him. When she sat down, Brother Barnes immediately started talking to her. And the more he talked about the Lord, the more she twisted and squirmed in her seat. Finally, she stood up and started to pace around the room. She said, I can't stand him anymore. I've got to get out of here. After she left Pastor Barnes' study, he began to pray, asking the Lord to take all the spirits that she intended to leave to torment him to let them go torment her. The next morning, Pastor Barnes received a phone call from that woman. She asked him what he had done to her. He said, what do you mean? You weren't even in my study five minutes before you left. She told him that she had been tormented all night long and that she had been up all night walking the floor. Again, she accused him of doing something to her. Then he told her that he asked the Lord to send back the spirits that she had brought to torment him to do the same to her. Be anxious for nothing. And I believe it's okay to talk to him. Remind him of who God is, who you are, and who he is. Whether you are aware of it or not, if you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have the power to torment the devil. Let me remind you of something that happened in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. When he was coming to the other side of the country, the Gersonians, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass that way. And behold, they cried out and said, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Have you come to torment us before our time? So the devil don't have to wait to hell to get tormented. I believe we're tormenting him right now, just the fact that this room's almost full. I could talk to you about resist the temptation to panic, but my time's expired. If you'll stand with me this morning, I want to talk to you about unity as we conclude. Unity is not simply an intellectual exercise. We can believe the same things, recite the same creeds, along, belong to the same denomination, but that doesn't mean we have unity. Listen very carefully. In his book, Soul Talk, Larry Crabb writes, Which is worse? Listen carefully, which is worse? A church program to build community that doesn't get off the ground? Or one person sitting 
every Sunday in the back of the church who remains unknown. A Sunday school class that once drew hundreds, but has now dwindled to 30, or a Sunday school teacher whose sense of failure is never explored by a caring friend. What about a family torn apart by the father's drinking, his wife's frustration and her third grader's learning disabilities, or a self-hating dad, a terrified mom, and a lonely little boy? Three human beings whose beauty and value no one ever discovers. A national campaign that fails to gain steam for the pro-life movement or a single mom on her way home from an abortion clinic in the back seat of a taxi, a woman whose soul no one ever touches. We may notice the unknown pew sitter. We wonder how the teacher of the now small class feels, and we worry over each member of the torn up family, and we may feel guilt and pain for a woman who's ended her baby's life, but we do what's easier. We design programs and we brainstorm ways to build attendance. And in our outrage over divorce statistics and abortion numbers, we fight for family values. And these are all good things, but we don't talk to the pew sitter. We don't ask the teacher how he or she is doing. We don't invite the troubled dad to play golf the disturbed mother to lunch, or the little boy to play with our children. We don't let the aborting woman know that we truly do care. That response to hurting people, I would label, the writer said, disunity. Disunity is not fighting over personal preferences. It's not just leaving the church because someone hurt your feelings. Disunity is not just gossip that tears down the members of the body. It's leaving needs unmet. It's failing to love people the way God would have us love. Unity is lived out in caring concern for others. So Grace, where do we stand? Yeah, I'm happy that we shipped out all those backpacks this summer. I'm happy we were able to outfit a young child uh, in poverty uh, with a backpack to go to school. I'm happy about that. But what did we do otherwise to help that family? What about the teachers that we bring lunch to every four to six weeks to Central Middle School? Are their lives perfect? Don't they have problems? Some of them may be having marital problems, kid problems, parental problems. Who knows? But are we reaching the individual? We're not just after an institution, an organization, an association. But we want to introduce people personally to the Lord Jesus Christ. I still believe it's a personal gospel. Yeah, it's intended for the church. And, and John wrote to the church in the book of Revelation. But Jesus met with a Samaritan woman. He talked to the woman taken in adultery. He met with these people. He even touched a leper. He healed the blind. He healed the blinded beggar. He touched the lives of people. Could we, as a church, unify as one body to begin to start touching and ministering to the lives of individual people 
all around us who have nothing but chaos in their lives. I just threw something out last Sunday about a woman in the church, a church in Alexandria. She's driven a bus for that church. She's probably in her 60s now, still drives a church bus. About doing a little cookout in her area where she brings kids to church. I just mentioned in passing, Brother Gary sat in my office this morning and said next Saturday we're going to pick a spot where we do our van reach, our grace reach. And he said, we're going to grill some hot dogs and hamburgers. And we're going to not just feed the kids. We want to feed their families. We want to start touching the lives of people with the gospel. We can't do it from here. You have to do it there. There. So, as they begin to sing softly, I'm going to ask, I'm going to plead. And I don't believe it's going to be a problem. I'm very optimistic about what I'm about to do. But if you're behind unifying over impacting our city as one body, as one church, I want you to gather up around the front of this building and say, by the help of God, we're going to do it. We're going to do it in our way. We're going to start touching the lives of people. In our way, we're going to smile. In our way, we're going to shake their hand. We're going to kindly wrap our arm around their shoulder and say, I truly care about you. I truly love you. I hear all the time about people being beat up and life is a terrible thing, but I know a God that can change those things. Let's gather around the front. Let's gather around the front. Let's make a statement that we're going to unify. We're going to unify. We're going to unify. We're going to unify. Everybody come, would you lift your hands heavenward and let's ask for God's help. Somebody ask for God's help.
reach out to the Lord. All over the house, let's reach out to the Lord. Let's reach out to him. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. I feel the presence of the Lord here right now. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Let God unify us. Come on, folks. Let's come together in one faith, in one purpose, in one mission to see God's will done in our homes, in our church, and in our city. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Matchless everywhere. Hallelujah. 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 Every way wonderful, beautiful, glorious. Oh, yeah. folks come on let's worship let's worship hallelujah 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 Thank the Lord. What an awesome, awesome presence of the Lord that's here today. A moment that's hard to bring a conclusion to. But if you're here this morning and you need to go, this is our way of saying God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. And you're always invited and welcome to attend our services. Thank the Lord. Otherwise, let's continue in our worship. Praise the Lord. God bless you. We thank you for being here today. Hallelujah.